Welcome to Fempreneur Secrets Podcast, where business secrets are revealed. My name is Huda, and I'm the founder of Fempreneur Secrets, an online community for women to start and own their business. I created this podcast to inspire women from all walks of life to get started into business. They're all meant to be step-by-step, so you can take quick actions into your life and business today. So let's get started with today's episode. So today we have with us an interesting, uh, an interesting personality, I would say. Her name is Sandra Spielberg, and she is going to talk to us about her new book, which is called New Startup Mindset. So uh, let's get started to get to know Sandra first. So Sandra, maybe you can share with us what your history is like. Or how do you get started in a startup? So great to meet you, and I'm so happy to be on the podcast. I started business, I would say, pretty early on. Uh, my dad was uh, a store owner, so I started working at his store, obviously, like many children do with their parents. After that, I worked as a cashier and all these sort of like beginner type of jobs, but then went to college. And when I graduated from college, I went to work on Wall Street for a couple of years, then realized that I wanted to switch to a career where I was working in something that was more um, of more, had more meaning to the person that was receiving it and went to get my MBA at work. And from then switched on to work in the biotechnology industry. And that was a really good fit for me because here we were working on what I call products of high utility, right? The people that are getting these treatments generally for complex diseases really need them. That really gave me, you know, part of the meaning that I was looking for. So I worked those types of jobs for many different companies for a while. And then I started to notice that there was a pattern, especially in the last few companies that I had worked at for rare diseases where they really needed to find the patient population that they were working with. They needed to connect with them. They needed to find them to invite them to clinical trials, which are studies that are mandatory for drugs that are coming to market. And these companies were having great difficulty finding these patients. And in my very last company that I worked at, right before I started my company, I really got to feel that pain point, right, of a company trying to engage these patients. In this case, they were women with recurrent miscarriage uh, for which there was no treatment, and this company was developing a treatment. And they were really struggling to find them. While these women were online, they were on Facebook, they were certainly reachable. The system just didn't exist back then in 2015 to put it together in a compliant way for this industry. And so in 2015, when my employer decided not to continue running this clinical trial, instead of sending resumes out and trying to find another job, I decided to start my own company. And I took that leap. And that is how Seeker Health was born. And Seeker Health is a patient-finding platform. We find patients, we find them for clinical trials and for other uses that a biopharmaceutical company may need them. And we do so in a compliant way that respects the patient privacy. And I think what's interesting is that I started the business with the part that was the easiest and the lowest um, It required the lowest capital investment, which was to create campaigns on social media that could be used for clinical trials. And because I had been in the industry for a while, I knew the concerns and I knew what uh, my clients would be looking for in terms of ensuring that their campaigns were going to be compliant and were going to uh, protect the patient's identities and so forth. And so I started with that part. 
Um, and that part obviously didn't require any type of capital investment, but very quickly, as I started working with a couple of clients, I realized that they needed much more than that. They needed a website, they needed a patient lead management system that collected all the information and then securely shared it with the next person that was going to be working with that patient to enroll in the clinical trial. And so I pressed on and pushed on to software development, um, hired some software developers and went on to build a company that ended up being an end-to-end -end patient finding platform. And then in 2018, I started getting offers from companies in the market who were looking to add this type of um, technology or this type of capability to their portfolios. And in 2018, September 2018, I the company was acquired. Secret Health was acquired by a larger company. Meaning um, that when it was acquired, uh, you are no longer involved in the company? I am just finishing now. Uh, so I have been involved after the acquisition. There was an integration period. So I have been involved in that. Uh, but I am now finally step, stepping away. That's amazing. <laughs> so um, I just have a question in relations to Seeker Health. Like, how do you come up with the idea of that startup? Yeah, so I think the idea mostly came out of the need that I was witnessing firsthand. We were trying to enroll this clinical trial back at my my final employer and they were really struggling they needed the patients and then i started cobbling together what eventually became secret health but i wasn't really finding companies that could do it at that time of course over time the market became quite competitive as it tends to happen when you know you're fitting um, a need that is important but in the beginning mostly what led me to the idea was that i was basically the customer I wanted to buy it and I couldn't find where to buy it, where to buy exactly what I wanted end to end, done at a professional level, you know, done in an optimized way. I could, I could cobble it together with pieces that didn't make sense that were a bit of patchwork, but I couldn't find a company that was doing it end to end. And I was really focusing on these rare and complex conditions. So how many uh, patients do you have on your platform right before it got acquired? Yeah, so right before we got acquired, you know, I don't exactly remember the, the number because we, what we did is we took a specific clinical trial mm -hmm. and then try to enroll that trial. So our strategy wasn't to acquire as many patients as possible and have them sitting there. Our strategy was the opposite, was to say, here's a clinical trial, this trial needs patients now, let's work to find those trials. So at the end of the day, we've connected millions of patients to clinical trials. And of course, out of those thousands have enrolled in clinical trials for rare diseases. All right, so that sounds really exciting. So what are you currently working on right now? So I decided to write down what I had learned um, from this pretty unique process of starting, then building, and then exiting the company. And that's why I wrote this book titled New Startup Mindset, 10 Mindset Shifts to Build the Company of Your Dreams. And I think there were a couple of things that I noticed as I was building this company. One was that there was sort of like a formula out there, especially where I live here in Silicon Valley, this formula that said that you had to be a programmer and you're going to be raising venture capital and you know, you're going to be hiring a bunch of programmers and put them in a big office and the more people, the better. And 
for many reasons. That formula didn't sit well with me. It just didn't seem like the way to build a company. And it seemed um, like I was experiencing a lot. Um, I was seeing a lot of people um, waste a lot of time trying to find funding when in essence, wouldn't it be so much easier to go find a customer and see if this customer is willing to pay something for some piece of their problem being solved? And so I decided not to follow the formula. Uh, and I was very used to that because I'm not the formula, right? I'm a woman, I'm an immigrant from Uruguay. I am a, not a programmer, right? I have school-age children. And I decided, you know, I'm going to blaze my own path. I'm gonna build this company in a way that makes sense to me and that is sustainable. I had a background in accounting. So to me, it made a lot of sense that a company takes in revenue and then has some costs. And at the end of the day, it should be able to produce a profit. It should be able to not have employees that are worried whether or not they're going to get paid to be waiting for the next round of funding for that to happen. And so I decided to go in that direction. And you know, as I realized that I had done so many things differently than the formula, I said, you know what, let me record them in a book because I would love for another person who doesn't feel that the formula is the right thing for them to be inspired by this, by this alternative journey and to try to find their path, right? Like the path that is unique to them, that is authentic to them, that makes sense for them to build their company. Um, and so the book is out here, has an introduction that talks a lot about the formula. It talks about seven startup myths that really hold people back. Things like unicorn or nothing, um, you need a co-founder, you need venture capital. These are myths. These, these are not mandatory to build a company that makes an impact. And then I move on into three parts of the book, start, then build, and then exit. Actually, that's a very good point that you have raised that a lot of entrepreneurs who want to start their own startup, they face the challenge of how a startup should form. And I guess those myths are really quite interesting. Can you share with us like, maybe three of the myths um, in, in detail so that our listeners can benefit from them? The first myth is the unicorn or nothing, right? And that is that the belief that unless you end up building one of these $1 billion valuation companies like Facebook or Google, then your company is nothing and you are nothing. And that cannot be further from the truth, right? Right under these unicorns, you find all sorts of, I call them in the book, well-fed and real animals, right? You have real companies that are um, meeting a market need in an excellent way. They have ample revenue, they have ample profit. And it is not absolutely necessary to shoot so high for something that it is so difficult to attain, especially if this is your first business. Wouldn't it be just fine to set a goal that says, you know what, can I get to a million dollars in revenue? And then can I get to $10 million in revenue, right? I mean, these are, these are very significant goals already. The other myth uh, that's very popular here in this area is that you need a co-founder, right? And of course, venture capital companies will like you to have a co-founder because if something happens to the founder, then there's another person who can take place. But a lot of the research data, and this is a lot of the data that came from University of Pennsylvania, Wharton, and a study that they did on founders, indicates that being a solo founder actually increases the longevity of the company and increases also the revenue of the company. 
because sometimes having a co-founder will delay decision making, will uh, create more difficulties in making those decisions. And so many founders are sometimes waiting to find this other person that will magically become their, you know, long lost soul co-founder. And one of the messages that I'm trying to convey in this book is that you are all the founding power that your company needs. You can hire employees, right, that complement your skill set, but they don't need to be your founders. The third one that I'll highlight here is that you need venture capital to create a business. You know, a lot of startups use venture capital, but it actually turns out that they are the vast minority. The majority of businesses do not use venture capital to build their company. Venture capital is a very specialized area of investment. They're looking for outsized returns and not everything that you build that has amazing impact needs to abide by those outsized returns that a venture capitalist is looking for. I'm sharing the example of my company, which was not funded with venture capital. It was purely funded with customer revenue. And I happen to be part of a group of entrepreneurs, all of whom are building their companies this way. There are many examples of you know, what we call bootstrapping, either working another job on the side or providing a service in the beginning to then be able to build a product or taking a loan that you can pay back. With venture capital, the issue is that they're taking a part of your company. Um, and with that part, they're usually also taking some control over the decisions that the company will be making. Right here in Singapore, we've, we've got a strong startup scene as well. And a lot of the times when I speak to startups, they always say the same thing, which is like what you've just mentioned, that you need to raise capital and you need to raise capital from venture capitalists. But I don't think that's necessarily true. And you just pointed that out that, if you can get customer revenue, that's proof and that's worth of your company's success more than any other things. Absolutely. And I think one of the myths or one of the misunderstandings is that venture capital is funding very early. And generally, they're not. By the time they're coming in, the company has shown some traction. The company does have some customers. So I feel it's a bit of a misunderstanding on the, on the founder side. Mm. Uh, founders, you know, you have to go and take the first few steps and build a company on your own and get customers. And only after you've shown that traction, then the option becomes available as to whether or not you want to take in venture capital. So for some of our listeners who have no clue what you have, we have just talked about or no idea what startup is all about, could you just share a little bit about what unicorn is all about? Like, what does that term mean? Oh, yeah. The term unicorn means a company with a valuation of $1 billion, right? And that term was actually coined by this woman, Eileen Lee. Um, and she decided to call them unicorns because unicorns are mythical animals. They're not real. They do not exist. But with that being said, of course, there are a number of companies that have reached that status where their valuation, right, their market capitalization is $1 billion or more. I believe that the startup model versus running a traditional business in that sense would be very different. So what would you say is one of the biggest difference between a startup and a traditional business? Yeah, that's actually a great question um, because I often wondered, you know, what am I building? Am I building a traditional business or I'm building a startup? I think the difference between a startup and a traditional business is that a startup is going to put an emphasis on technology and automation, right? Some sort of way that we can reach some type of scale, right? So while a traditional business might be something like I start a hair salon, 
right? And I have one person and then I can continue to scale, but only by adding more people, right? In a startup, what we're trying to do is achieve that efficiency and automation in a more technological way, right? So, so generally, we don't need that many more people to get that many more customers, right? We are able to serve more. So I think a startup is generally... Uh, you know, it's looking to do something more innovative, it's trying to solve maybe a more difficult problem, and it's trying to do so in some way that offers scale, right? Like the ability to replicate that offering over and over again to many customers. That's helpful. Coining yourself, coining a name for what you do is always one of the biggest challenges that women entrepreneurs face. So now that you've shared with us what a startup is and comparing it to traditional business, that's really helpful. So my next question for you is, um, if there was one thing that when you were learning or starting your business that you wish someone would have told you, what would that be? Yes, I think the most important thing I wish somebody would have told me is to expect difficulties, right? Expect perceived difficulties. When you are starting a business or you're engaging in this startup world, right? It's a journey. Uh, The journey begins to appear as you put your foot on it, right? So you have to start in order to be able to see the next step and then the next step. And in that process, in that journey, you will encounter difficulties. And I think what I would love to say to somebody who's just starting out is to not be shocked by these difficulties, right? If, If you're surprised by them, right, then your reaction might be shock and panic and fear. But if I told you all along that difficulties are going to come, And they are going to come in two types. And one of the types, actually both of the types are going to be really useful to you. Then you wouldn't be so shocked and you wouldn't be so afraid when something goes wrong, right? So in the book, I spent quite a bit of time, a whole chapter talking about this, about these obstacles. I usually think that these difficulties can be classified into two. One are what I call obstacles. And these are hurdles. They are sort of like your run-of-the-mill difficulty. And these difficulties, once the entrepreneur is able to overcome them, they become better and the company becomes better, right? It's sort of like they give you a new superpower because now you've figured out, right, how to get through this part. And those are really good. And when they come, you should welcome them. Now, here's an opportunity. uh, For example, I talk in my book about writing this white paper that will then be sent to every approving, you know, ad board uh, for the ads that we're creating. And it's going to explain what we're doing and how we're doing it. And why are we writing this? Because they rejected us, right? So when they reject you and there's something that you need to explain and you just need to clarify it or find a feature or find a way to make it better, that makes you better. And those are called obstacles. The other type of difficulty is what I call the closed door. And that's quite different. That's a little bit heavier. It feels like you can't move it on your own and it's not going to move anytime soon. And those are also important to know because the energy isn't flowing there. The water isn't flowing there. And it might might make you um, contemplate redirecting, right? Um, Redirecting your flow in a different direction that will allow your business to move forward. So while I was launching Secret Health, I also encountered closed doors. I got very excited about what I was doing with clinical trials and decided to launch the second product that was 
different and had a different brand name. And I encountered a number of closed the doors there in my face. And basically they were a signal that that wasn't the direction to take this product into. The product market fit wasn't right. The difficulties in the market were too many for me to solve at that time. And so basically what I would tell you is you will encounter difficulties uh, and they will help you. So, so when they come, this isn't a time necessarily to feel uh, shocked and fear and sad over a long period of time. You're totally allowed to feel that at first, right? Because it's going to jolt you. But over time, you will learn something from these difficulties and they will make your business better. Thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, so how can our listeners get in touch with you, Sandra? I have a website, sandraspielberg.com. On my website, there's a lot of information about the book. There is some information about other opportunities to connect with me. And then the book, New Startup Mindset, is available on Amazon. Um, it is available on paperback, ebook, and audio. We've really come to the end of our podcast for this episode. So is there any parting words or any words of inspiration that you want to give to our listeners? Many times we're afraid to start something new, right? And we're afraid to start something new because we don't know what we're doing, right? And this certainly happened to me as I was starting Secret Health. I had a ton of experience in the industry, but I had never started a company and never built a website and never, I had never done any of those things. When we are able to harness this beginner's mindset, sort of this concept that we are new at it, we actually do a really great job. It's something that really, really helps us to perform at a higher level. Because when we're a beginner, we're humble, we're patient, we generally tend to ask for help much more readily. And more importantly, when we're a beginner, we're able to silence our own inner critic, right? So the inner critic is that part of us that tells us you can't do it, right? Uh, you are to this, to that, and to this to do what you need to do right now. And we all have that little voice. For some of us, it's louder. For some of us, it's um, you know, a little softer. And the beginner's mindset is able to tell the inner critic, look, I'm just starting out, so you don't get to judge me yet. And what if we set up uh, some sort of agreement here, inner critic, where you, we're not going to talk to each other for a year because I'm new at this. And so you have to give me a chance to figure it out and to learn. And I found that to be a really excellent trick. We all have that little voice that tells us we can't do it. And yet we can silence that voice by telling it, you know what, I am doing this for the first time. I'm a beginner, give me a chance and don't talk to me for 12 months until I figure, until I figure this out. That is so cool. I think I'm going to try it. Also, I'm going to figure out a way to speak to my inner critic. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Sandra, for being on the show. So ladies, keep learning and keep believing in yourself because the world needs an inspiration just like you. And I'll catch you in the next episode of Fempreneur Secrets.